0: Welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Well, uh, as many of you know, summer is quickly approaching with UM Army signups, uh, the oppressive heat that we've been experiencing the last couple days, uh, and summer swim team. Uh, any any swim parents out there? Yeah, so you you know the love hate relationship with uh, with swim team, and uh, the way that it consumes all of your Saturdays for the month of, July, of June. Uh, but the other day we were, uh, Kaya was uh, was swimming. She's here in the front row, and uh, I was uh, Abby was watching her, and and uh, and she was she was going at it. You know, she head down just just paddling. You know. Um, and she would, she'd be crushing it. She'd be going for, for about 10 feet, you know, and then she'd, she'd just stop. She'd just pick her head up and just, just like catch her breath, you know, just breathe in. <laughs> and then she'd put her head back down and go, 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 go. Uh, and Abby, after the, after the practice, you know, because we as parents feel like we need to be the ones that coach them even though I'm sure the coaches probably told her all of these things. Uh we feel like we need to reinforce those things. And so so Abby uh, is like, "Hey, Kaya, you know, you're supposed to like push your head to the side when you when you're going so you can keep going and breathe." And uh and Kaya she looked up at at Abby and she goes, "Mom, I'm just trying to survive here." <laughs> and uh, isn't, isn't that kind of the way that we feel sometimes, right? That we, uh, we are, we're going at it, we're like thriving for a little bit, right? And we're, we're, we're really getting it, we're really uh, pushing forward, we're progressing, we feel like we're progressing in life, and then uh, it, it all kind of catches up to us and we feel like we are just surviving. And life becomes kind of this ebb and flow of survive and thrive, Seasons of surviving, seasons of thriving, seasons where we don't feel like or know or really trust that we even will survive. We, be, we get caught in this loop that is oftentimes driven by circumstances driven by the circumstances of the world around us, driven by the things, the decisions that people make around us, driven by uh, the seasons of life that we're in, driven by the busyness of a calendar, driven by so many other things outside of our control. Or maybe, maybe they're even driven by the things that we can control and the mistakes that we've made. And it it determines the season that we feel, whether we're striving whether we're surviving or whether we're thriving. So my question for us today is do circumstances dictate our attitude? Do circumstances dictate whether we are uh, able to thrive or not? Because if thriving is, is everything going well, if thriving is uh, everything going, going great and, and that we're crushing it, that our kids have straight A's, that, uh, that everything is, is going the way our plan has, if, th- if that is thriving, then about 90% of the world, we would, we would look at their lives and say they're surviving. I'm not talking about just Kingwood, right? But around the world, we would see the poverty situations that people are living in, we'd see the circumstances that are causing people to flee their country We would see circumstances all around the world, outside circumstances that are affecting their lives, whether it be economic hardship or poverty, whether it be mental or physical health, whether it be oppression, whether it be racism, whether it be just simple situational circumstances. We would look at people's existence and say, They are just surviving. But I don't don't believe that our circumstances determine whether or not we can thrive or not. If you've been to a a third world country, um, it doesn't take long to notice that some of them have more joy than we do. Even in the midst of their poverty, even in the midst of what we would look at as just surviving. So my question for us today as we dive into scripture, as we dive into the 23rd Psalm, we ask, can we thrive in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death? Can we thrive in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death? Let's pray. Uh, God, we, as we enter into your presence, God, as we read scripture, God, would you allow these words to speak into our hearts? Would you allow these words to, to challenge us, to, um, to move us beyond our situation, beyond our circumstance, and into a deeper relationship with you where we see see and have the experience and have the ability to thrive. God, would you help to redefine this word for us? Would you help to redefine our circumstance in light of your presence? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen, amen. So let's read uh, starting in Psalm 23. Verse one, this is a a psalm that is is very well known. Um, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, oh, fear no evil. This is a a psalm that's often read at funerals to bring comfort to those who are in sorrow. And today, I believe that it gives us the prescription for life. So hear these words. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake, Even though I walk through the, through the darkest valley or through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, church, thriving is not circumstantial, thriving is defined by relationship. Driving is not circumstantial. It is defined by relationship. In our our passage today, we see this this beautiful uh, scripture where uh, David, the the author of this psalm, jumps to three different scenes. In the midst of these three different scenes, he paints three different circumstances for, for us and for our lives. The beginning scene is he leads us and he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall want for nothing. I have no, no needs, no desires because the Lord is my shepherd. And he leads me to this, to this place of peace. Anybody experienced the place of peace? A season in your life where you felt like things were just good, calm, settled. And then much like many of our lives, that place of peace he dramatically jumps to a valley of the shadow of death, right? Oftentimes, directly from that place of peace, uh, we are thrown into the valley of the shadow of death, a, a completely different circumstance, a circumstance that is, um, that is dark, that is uh, hopeless. The valley of the shadow of death is known as the Kidron Valley, which is just east of Jerusalem. The Kidron Valley is where, uh, where a lot of uh, a lot of tombs and burial places are. It's the place where uh, it's east of the city, so it's, it has very little sunlight, so very little grows in this valley, the valley of the shadow of death. It's known for being dry. The Kidron Valley is, is also the place where, where David fled from his son Absalom, who was trying to kill him. This is two people in David's life that he has fled from that have been trying to kill him. Absalom, his very own beloved son, tries to to, to overthrow the king, tries to stage a coup on his own dad. And though though, uh, David tells the army not to kill Absalom, who's trying to overthrow him, David's army kills his very own son. And it leads David to a place of darkness where he's mourning over his son. Oh, Absalom, oh, Absalom. A valley of the shadow of death. A circumstance that you and I probably can't even begin to fathom or imagine. And he writes this psalm from that place. Immediately following the valley of the shadow of death, he jumps us to a third scene. A scene where, where the Lord prepares a table before him in the presence of his enemies. A table that, that, where his cup is overflowing. A place of blessing where the en- his enemies are outside looking in. So, what do these three scenes have to do with one another? I think that's key for us as we understand what it means for us to thrive in this world. You see, the enemy would like for us to to remain in a place where circumstance determines our our attitude, where circumstance determines the way that we live out our lives in this world. He would like for us to go through always progressing through seasons of struggle and seasons of, of blessing. He would love... Uh, for us to be like Kaya, right? That's swimming hard, progressing one way, and then, and then just struggling to survive in the next moment. The enemy desires to pull us back into the valley of the shadow of death. The enemy desires to keep us there. But the distinction in our text today is that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? That that the valley of the shadow of death is a through place. It's a place that that happens in our lives, but is not a place that we are meant to dwell. Notice in verse six, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The dwelling place of, the thriving dwelling place, the place in which we thrive is dwelling in the house of the Lord this, this is our key to understanding what it means to thrive. See, the enemy desires to use the good circumstances, the seasons where we feel like we are thriving and the bad to draw us further and further away from a relational connection with God. He desires to take those seasons where things are going really well, where we're peaceful in the pasture. And he wants to point, us out, point out to us that, hey, you did that. You got there. You succeeded. You crushed it. You're thriving. You did this. He wants us to prepare our own banquet table he wants for us to, to be self-sufficient so that we even in those good seasons draw away from relationship with God and lack giving thanks. And consider our own our own our own merit to be the thing that brought us success. again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. He desires to use the bad situations to draw us further from God as he keeps us there in the valley. But the one thing that is constant in each of these scenes is that God is there. In the valley, it is he that led us to green pastures and quiet waters. In the valley of the shadow of death, it is is his rod and his staff that comforts us. And at the banquet feast, it is he that prepares the table. The second thing that we learn from this passage is that thriving is not descriptive, but thriving is prescriptive. This last week, um, I had this opportunity to go do a a Kairos event. And. Kairos is a, a prison ministry and uh, we were at Polunsky, the supermax prison there. It's for, uh, oftentimes for those who have done uh, a significant enough crime that their sentence is long term. This is where death row is, is housed. Where those who are on isolation, on parole with, with or on a on life sentence with no Parole. And as, as, I, as I walked into those doors and the door closes behind you and it says, we will not negotiate with prisoners. It's the first thing that you see as you walk into the door and you kind of pucker up. Whoa! <laughs> this is real. And you walk into this place that we might look at and see as the valley of the shadow of death, a place where, where nothing grows, where things go to die, literally go to die. A place with, with little hope, where many people are just there with no chance of ever seeing the outside, no chance of reconnecting with their, with their, their kids who are all left on the outside and have abandoned them with their families that it's just too hard to continue that relationship as you walk in you feel as if as if the valley of the shadow of death as as if thriving is descriptive as it's as if it's based on the description of our of our situation of our circumstance but what you see inside of the prison was something that I didn't even begin to expect as I got to know the people, as I got to know their stories, uh, sitting at my table was, we'll call him uh, Elijah. And Elijah sitting at my table, head to toe tattooed with, with satanic tattoos. A man who, uh, who was the, lead, the leader of the Satanist movement in the prison. A man who, who 10 years ago was this close to sacrificing one of his kids to the devil, who God met him in that space, though he didn't, didn't recognize that it was God in the moment, met him in the midst of his valley and gave him a bit of hope. In prison, he gave his life to Christ and a transformation happened in his story and, uh, Elijah is one of the most joyful men that I've ever met. Elijah, uh, uh, someone who who used to send curses to people. Elijah, a person who who would harm his own body because he knew that God created him. And so that was his best way to harm God, was to harm himself. A man who you would look at and see darkness So his circumstance would would describe him as darkness. Because of Christ's presence in his life, he gave his life to Christ and became a light. He's he's now the leader of the the prayer and intercessory team in prison. He does deliverance ministry on people uh, while they're in prison. Uh, He he leads, leads Bible studies. He's active in every every church group on campus uh, and and passionately pursuing Christ with all that he has. Though he is in prison and will forever be in prison because he has no parole, life sentence in prison with no parole. Though you would look at him and describe his situation as permanently in the valley of the shadow of death. He sees the prescription of a life with Christ and says, even in this situation, I will thrive because Christ is with me. You see, we are called as followers of Christ to thrive. Now, this this doesn't mean that we can't have bad days, right? This doesn't mean that that it's not okay to be okay, that it's okay to not be okay. We are all gonna have situations and circumstances and, and moments and seasons. But as a, as a follower of Christ, we are called to thrive. I love the, the Casting Crown song, um, the line that says that we were made to thrive. Paul says, says it when he says uh, that we are given a peace that passes all understanding. He says it in, in Philippians when he says that I'm content in all situations, in all circumstances, no matter what happens to me, I am content because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You see, in, in his letter to the Corinthians, I love this passage where he talks about, about the risen Christ. He talks about what it means for us to be followers of Christ, what it means for us to thrive, knowing that, that Christ has, has been resurrected. He says this in 2 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 14. He says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession, who always leads us in triumphal procession, in Christ and through us, spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Church, what that means is that Christ is not just with you in the valley, but that he has already been there before you got there. That he has already won the victory in that space that even though that circumstance might be devastating to your, your situation, he has already been there bringing goodness. He has already been victorious in that spot because he leads us in triumphal procession. And he uses us in the midst of that circumstance to be the aroma of Christ so that others might know him better. See, while we were on the walk, um, in prison, uh, Elijah tells me, he says, Hey, um, uh, there's one of my buddies is at, at one of the other tables. He's like my workout partner. And, um, and we work together in elect, uh, as electricians here on campus. And, um, and I've been working on him for the last, for the last few months. And I think, I think this week he's going to give his life to Christ. And, um, and the first day, he was the one that God kind of highlighted for me and said, uh, this, is, this, is, this is our guy. He had already been doing the work far before we ever came in as Kairos. And on Saturday, Elijah's friend gave his life to Christ. Out of, out of the darkness, right? Out of the darkness and into into the banquet table because Elijah didn't see his situation as something that would that would be descriptive of who he was but he saw God's relationship with him God's presence with him in the midst of it as the as the very thing that would that would be his thriving as the very thing that would be the aroma, that would be the fragrance of of the knowledge of God to the world around him. You see, his situation led him to a place of calling. Oftentimes, the valleys of our lives lead to calling. Calling. Oftentimes the valleys, the darkest places in our lives lead us to a place of, of the greatest purpose in our lives. You know why? Because Christ was already there. Because Christ led that whole thing in, 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 in his triumphal procession. That he is victorious in all circumstances, in all situations to the praise of God. So, church, wherever you are, whatever situation and circumstance you are in, know that, that the enemy is trying to pull you away from relationship with God. But the prescription for a life that is thriving, a life that is that is undeterred by the circumstance is in relationship with God and it's only found there. So in the midst, in the midst of the valley. Draw near. In the midst of the valley, step into the table, the banquet table with Christ and fellowship with the love of God. You know, as we take communion today, that those words, uh, and band and and stewards, you guys can come forward. As we take communion, um, I, I love the words that, that he prepares a banquet table before us in the presence of our enemies. You see, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat at a banquet table with who? The disciples. The disciples who would deny him and betray him. The disciples that would, uh, Judas, that would, that would give his life, that would, that would offer up Jesus' life to the Pharisees. You set a table in the presence of my enemies. So on the night that Jesus gave himself for us, he took the bread and he gave thanks. He looked at all of his disciples, even the ones that would betray him, and he said, this is my body. Take and eat it, do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. He gave thanks. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins, for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. I said, Holy Spirit, would you pour out your presence on this place? Would you take these common elements of bread and cup and would you make them for us so much more than that? Would you make them the body of Christ? and the blood of Christ so that we as the church might be the body of Christ redeemed by your blood so we might be one in this act of love in this act of grace so that we might be the aroma that we might be the fragrance of the knowledge of God of the goodness of God of the grace of God to the world God would you unite us around the banquet table would you unite us with purpose, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, church. This is as we take communion today. Uh, this is not a United Methodist table. This is uh, this is Christ's table, and we welcome all who, are, who consider seriously the call of Christ to come and dine with Christ today. We're going to take by and teach in. so. Uh, If you would, just hold your hands out when you come up. Uh, You will receive the body and blood of Christ. And then the the altar rails, these are made for you. For you to come and to sit and to dine, to, to draw near in relationship with God. So come. The table is set.